0: Well, one of the most uh, anticipated aspects of Christmas for many people, and that includes both the believers and the unbelievers, is Christmas music. Christmas music. You know, it used to be that radio stations across America would begin playing Christmas uh, during Christmas week. But as many of you can tell that... um, We begin, right, hearing Christmas carols much, much earlier now. In fact, uh, usually right after Halloween or so, uh, the following day, uh, we start hearing jingle bells and carols and and all kinds of tunes, and I don't mind that at all. Now, the question is why? Why why do um, these stations, uh, stores, why do they play? Uh, Christmas music and why do they start so early? Is it because everybody cares about Jesus Christ? That's that's not why, right? Uh, they they play because it's a very lucrative business. During just few weeks of Christmas music, according to Billboard, Christmas music generates over 170 million each each year. It's it's a marketing scheme. We switch immediately to Christmas, why? Because we begin thinking of gifts. And we begin thinking of shopping. We begin thinking of our favorite stores. And so we begin to go there. And we start spending our hard-earned money, right? This is all about marketing. Millions are generated. But for us who believe in the Lord, We rejoice, we rejoice at the sound of Christmas. And the question that I want us here to pose and to think through this morning is why do we sing and what do we sing about during this Christmas season? If you look at any top 10 uh, lists of Christmas music, you'll be hard pressed to find a single song with a spiritual theme. Be very difficult. A theme that focuses on the real reason for the season, as we say, right? Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to draw your attention to the lyrics of Mary's song. It's perhaps the most well-known song recorded in Luke or maybe the entire New Testament. Open with me to the gospel according to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. And before we look at uh, these verses here, verses 46 through 55, I want us to set the context and maybe consider Mary for just a second. Consider Mary. You know, almost all commentators agree that when Angel Gabriel came into Mary to announce this glorious truth about the fact that she will bear a son and she will give birth to Jesus Christ, Many say that Mary, at that point, is between 12 and 15 years of age. And We read of Mary here, usually the accounts, and we'll, we'll read this song, and we consider Mary as this seasoned woman who's been in faith for a very long time. Like, who else would utter such truths? But Mary is a junior hire, 12-year-old, at best, a freshman in high school. It's interesting for us to consider. But what's, what's even more staggering, what's amazing to observe about this song is Mary's grasp of scripture. How much scripture she knows. It is just stunning. She makes statements here in her song that refers to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter two. She alludes to books like Genesis and and Deuteronomy. Psalms are all over her, her song here. To the book of Habakkuk. When she begins, when she becomes aware of her situation, she interprets this announcement and everything that surrounds the appearing of angels biblically. Every one of her 15 statements here is a direct quote or allusion to an Old Testament passage. Clearly, this teenager, this junior or higher, spent a lot of time studying or hearing God's word at home or maybe in the synagogue. That's the first thing that we observe about Mary. The second thing we observe is that Mary is just in awe of God. Mary is in awe of God. She sees herself as this humble slave and the Lord as this mindful, mighty, and merciful King. It is all about the Lord here in this song. I want us to begin reading with verse 39 where we left off uh, in verse 38 for a scripture reading. We'll begin with verse 39 and we'll read through verse 56. Please follow along as I read. Luke writes, Now at this time Mary arose and went into went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds for his arm. with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy. He, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. As we consider this song here, I want us to just wrap our, our thoughts around this main idea here. And that is a call for us to rejoice in God because of who he is and because of what he has done. Rejoice in God because of who he is and because of what he has done. The call here to all of us is to rejoice and be awe of his greatness instead of our goodness. Think about this, the the source of our joy, what fills our heart with joy is not rooted in us and in our doing. Quite frankly, we fall so short often. We think about our doing, whether it's for the Lord or whether it's for someone else, and more often than not, we are ashamed of our doing. And so the, the joy here that is, uh, that, that is to fill our hearts is not rooted in us because, friends, we would lack this joy all the time. But when we behold God, when, be, when we behold our mighty, merciful, and mindful God, that's a cause to rejoice for us. I want us to consider these three movements in, in this song. Number one, we're going to see what God did for Mary. What God did for Mary. And then beginning with verse 50, we're going to consider what God did for us. And then the final two verses, verses 54 and 55, what God did for Israel. Mary, and then extends to us. And then there's focus on Israel and God's faithfulness to his people. Number one, beginning with verse 46, what God did for for Mary. You know the announcement of an angel that that Mary is carrying the Son of God in her womb, to whom she will soon give birth, it must have overwhelmed her. I mean, she's, she's in the middle here we find of her conversation with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth knows that here is this teenage girl who is carrying her Lord who is carrying Jesus Christ. And you can probably see the the, the setting here. You have this 12-year-old, a 14-year-old girl, and this probably an 80-year-old woman here, Elizabeth. And it would have been perfect for Mary to come to Elizabeth, and perhaps that's why she came, in order to to maybe seek counsel, in order to seek some kind of advice or maybe an encouragement, but what we don't see here is that Mary is fretting, that Mary is anxious, that Mary is fearful. Instead, having been welcomed by Elizabeth, Mary here breaks out in song. She begins to worship, and what is she singing about We see that she sings about the Lord. She says, my soul exalts the Lord. Perhaps she's thinking about Psalm 34 in which David says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So she breaks out in this song and she invites even Elizabeth. Bless the Lord with me. Exalt the Lord with me. Mary is saying that this poetry, it comes from the depth of her being, her inner soul, my soul. And what her soul does is it magnifies. To, to magnify means to enlarge something, to, to uh, declare God's goodness, to declare his greatness, to make him great in the eyes of others. Instead of focusing on herself, she's saying, no, my soul makes him great. You know, when Elizabeth calls her blessed, verse 45, and blessed is she, right? And in verse 32, blessed are you among women. Mary's desire was to magnify, glorify, and make much of her Lord rather than herself. Yes, she is blessed as we will see here in the next couple of verses. She is blessed among the women, but her desire is not to put a spotlight on her as the one who brings Jesus Christ into the world, but to put a spotlight on him, on the Lord. In these 10 verses, there are 20 references to the Lord and his doing. Just notice with me in verse 48, for he has had regard for the mighty one has done. Verse 51, he has done. He has scattered. 52, he has brought down. He has exalted. He has filled. He has sent away. He has given help. He spoke. It is all about the Lord. And in verse 47, then we see this parallel statement to her statement in verse 46. Mary moves from this reverence to rejoicing. My spirit is synonymous here with my soul, basically pointing to, to the inner man. She makes much of God because she finds her joy in him. In fact, this word, my spirit has rejoiced. It's not just my spirit is happy, but my spirit is overflowing. It is exceedingly joyful. Why was Mary so joyful? We find it at the end of the statement in verse 47. Why? My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Because Mary was to give birth to her savior. To her savior. Mary was not only the descendant of King David, as we find out in verse 27, right? Angel was sent to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendant of David. And it was important that Mary would be a descendant of David because Jesus was to come from David. But Mary was not only a descendant of King David, she was also a descendant of Adam and Eve, which meant that she was a sinner just like the rest of us. Mary, this teenage girl, was in need of redemption just like all of us. Many of you are aware of the role that Mary plays in Catholic theology. In many ways, she is placed on par with Jesus and in some cases, even above Jesus Christ. Let me read you what uh, two popes said, Pope Pius IV, he says this, God has committed to Mary the treasury of all good things in order through that through her, are obtained every hope, every grace, and all salvation. Sounds off, doesn't it? Pope Pius Seventh he added and said this, it is the will of God that we should have nothing which shall which has not passed through the hands of Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary is to be called Queen, not only on account of her divine motherhood, but also because by the will of God she had a great part in the work of our salvation. She cooperated in our redemption. Church, the Bible is is very clear that Mary has no place in our redemption. She did not contribute to the work of salvation. It is only by the shed blood of Jesus that you and I can be forgiven of our sins and can have direct access to the throne of grace. Mary is not an advocate. She's not a dispenser of grace or a mediator. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, Paul says. She needed, just like the rest of humanity, to have her sins forgiven. And no other verse is as clear as this one because Mary herself, rejoices in her savior. Why? Because she understood that she's a sinner just like the rest. I need to be saved. And so beginning here with verse 48, she gives reasons for her rejoicing. What did God do for Mary? There are three things. We find out in verse 48 that God was mindful of her. God was mindful of her for he Verse 48, has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Has had regard, to have regard means to to look upon, to regard with affection, to gaze at someone with favor, with love. He certainly could have chosen other women, but God chose this teenager. Look at verse 28 with me. It says, greetings favored one. This is the the greeting of the angel. Greetings favored one. In verse 30, you have found favor. You have found favor. Favored means it's it's a free gift of grace. Gabriel tells her that she's about to receive a free gift of God's unmerited favor. This greeting does not mean that Mary is so full of grace that, that, that she can forever bestow this grace on someone or that she grabbed God's attention because of who she is inherently. That's not what this greeting says. No, God is going to show you favor. God is going to show you grace. God chose Mary to carry his son and give him birth by his sheer grace. Grace. And she says here that God is mindful of my humble state, humble state of his bond slave. Probably refers to her lowly state. Uh, By all means, she was probably pretty poor. Poor, very young and very poor. She sees herself as a maid servant. She takes this position of absolute submission, that of a slave. I don't own anything. I can't call my shots. But you, Lord, took notice of me. And you are gracious to me. Her focus is entirely, entirely on God, it is on who he is and what he is doing. Notice that in this song here, she never mentions the fact that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. You know, there's no humble brag. Like, she doesn't, you know, like we, you know, do sometimes we post stuff, like, hashtag, you know, gonna be Jesus's mom. Isn't that cool? You know, and we could mention, like, hey, you know, the angel showed up to me, and, and, you know, he said, I don't want to make this a big deal, but You know, he told me that I was going to be the mother of of the Messiah. Yeah, that that very same Messiah who was prophesied of, you know, so many thousands of years ago. That that's me. You know, pray for me. It's exciting, but that's not what she says. That's not what she does. She all focuses deflected from her and onto the Lord. It's amazing. She gives praise to God. She can't get over the fact that God notices her and chooses her to be this vehicle through whom the Son of God will enter the world. And yet she also marvels that throughout all generations, everyone who hears of her story will call her blessed. Behold, From this time on, all generation will count me blessed. Why will they count me blessed? Not because of who I am, because I'm just a slave, but because of what God did. Because of what he has done for me. Because God is mindful of her. But God is not only mindful of her, we see that here in verse 49, he is mighty for her. God was working on her behalf. God did great things for Mary. For the mighty one, verse 49, has done great things for me. This is very personal still. The context here is focusing on her. God is doing something great for Mary. Why? Because God is the mighty one. God, the mighty one, who alone is able to do anything he wants with whomever he wants because as we read earlier for nothing verse 37 is impossible with god how will this be mary asks the angel and he says you're speaking to one who represents the lord and nothing is impossible with the lord and so mary says he has done great things with his arm from genesis 1 the bible speaks of the great and marvelous acts that God performs all over the Bible. No nation can resist God. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 29, Moses, he speaks to the sons of Israel and he says this, Deuteronomy 10, verse 21, he, God, is your praise and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for which your eyes have seen. This God is your God who has done great and awesome things. What's he referring to? Well, in that context, in Deuteronomy 10, he is referring to this great work of leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And it was a marvelous display of power. No Pharaoh can resist God. God is holy. He is unique. No one can compare to him. And holy is his name. No one can resist the Lord. And so perhaps Mary is just full of scripture. Maybe she's meditating on a verse like Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. But when Mary refers to the great things... For me, these great things in this context probably refers to her virgin conception. Who can do such a thing? Never has anyone heard of this thing before. That's why she asked, even a 12 year old girl, right? How is this possible? How can one conceive without the involvement of a man? God is able to do what he desires to do. And Mary praises and worships God for his might. He has done these great things for me in preparing my body, in allowing me to conceive, to give birth to the Son of God. And for this man, for Jesus Christ, then to accomplish all of these things, that we will get to from verses 51 and on. God was mindful of Mary, God was mighty for Mary. And then verse 50, notice with me, and His mercy, and His mercy is upon generation after generation, God was merciful to Mary. God is merciful. In fact, this attribute of God then is further explained through the rest of this song. God's mercy refers to his faithful love towards those who deserve his punishment, right? When we talk about grace, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. God is merciful to us. Remember, Mary here is singing about her Lord who, instead of punishing and instead of executing justice, he demonstrated his mercy by saving her. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, the Savior we've been anticipating for many years. But her joy here is not only for herself, it's, it's for everybody, Because she goes on and and says in verse 15, his mercy is upon generation after generation. She realizes that this blessing that has been given her, namely to bear the savior of the world, will be a blessing not only for her but for all. Generations will come to share in this blessing. But before we move on to the rest of the passages, just want to pause here and, and reflect on this first point. What did God do for Mary? And we can summarize it with this. He sent his son to be born of her, to be her personal savior. God provided a personal savior for Mary. Why did he do that? Is it because of something he saw in her? No, Mary rejoiced and she was in awe of God because of his greatness, not her own goodness. This Christmas season, consider and ask yourself, can you worship and sing this song along with Mary? Today, as as you consider the events of Christ's birth, does your your soul want to make much of Jesus Christ? Does your soul want to exalt and magnify and put a spotlight on him and, and say, listen, friends, listen, church, friends, members, listen, those of you who are my neighbors, This God is great. Look what he has done. Can you do that? I mean, even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of your uncertainties, the very uncertainty that that Mary found herself in, you can imagine, you can imagine her situation. She praises God. She praises God full of God's word, full of hope in the Lord, she responds with great joy. This song is a celebration of salvation, but not only for Mary, as I said already, and as this song continues to open up for us, it's a celebration for all the people. In verse 50 and 53, Mary moves beyond herself and speaks of God's blessing, which will be for all generation. There's a connection between Mary and us because, friends, we are one of the generations that Mary sung about here in verse 50. So consider, second point, what God did for us. What God did for us. Church, the glorious truth of this hymn is that God is not only merciful to the teenager, he is merciful to us and his son. And the way we see it here is, we we see it grammatically, the way way, uh, Mary organizes and and writes this psalm, right, sings this psalm, because she switches from personal pronouns, from pronouns that relate to her to third-person singular pronouns. The, the, The second and third part of this song, beginning with verse 50 all the way to 55, It sings and it looks forward prophetically to what Christ's ministry is gonna look like when he enters the world, when he serves for 33 and a half years and when he goes to be with his father. The blessing that will come not only upon Israel but upon all the Gentiles. And friends, we are here because we are blessed. We know this merciful God. If you think about Christmas think about Christmas as a great reversal. And in fact, this this reversal of fortunes is, is one of the themes in the entire book of Luke. And he begins it right here through this song of Mary. And here's the reversal. Sinners who deserve eternal punishment, they receive eternal blessing. Sinners who deserve eternal punishment, they receive eternal blessing. Jesus, the righteous, is punished for the sins of the guilty. And the guilty are brought into the kingdom in order to have eternal fellowship with God. This great reversal. Jesus came in power to redeem man from sin. Whoever and wherever they may be. He Did not come, as this song tells us, merely to save the rich and the famous. He did not come to bless those who are prominent and those who are elite. No, he came to save even the lowest of the lowliest. Notice this great reversal here that is described in verses 50 through 53. In 51, we read, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has scattered the proud. In verse 52, we read that he brings down rulers or mighty ones, those who are powerful from their thrones, takes them down one after the next. Verse 53, Mary says that he sends the rich empty handed, those who have everything, those who think they possess everything, God sends them out empty handed. So the proud, the powerful, and the wealthy are rejected. And at the same time here, God shows mercy to three groups of people. Really, it's one group that's described in three different ways. He exalts the humble, verse 52 He has exalted those who were humble. Verse 52. He fills the hungry. Verse 53. And He gives help to the helpless. The humble, the hungry, and the helpless. They benefit from a merciful God. Not the rich and the powerful. Not those who think they have everything. Not those who think they can qualify for God's blessing, to welcome this king into their own kingdom. No, it's the humble, it's the hungry, and it's the helpless, and I want us to consider these three, the the humble. You know, God lifts the humble, and he humbles the proud. That's been true forever. It's the way that God always operates. Isaiah 66, verse two, but to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit. And perhaps this is what Mary is thinking when she says he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. God regards, God looks to the humble and contrite in spirit. God hates the proud, friends. And on the other hand, he's gracious to the humble. Philip Ryken, he says, this is the way that God operates. The humble are shown mercy while the proud receive justice. The lowly are lifted and the lofty are brought low. The lowly are lifted, but the lofty are brought low. The hungry, he has filled, verse 53, the hungry with good things. The idea of being filled is to be fully satisfied. You know, it's when you're when you're when you have the stomach pains, when your stomach growls and you want something to eat and then you sit down and you have a meal and you then kick back after a meal and you're like, I am fully satisfied. I feel good. This meal was nice. That's what God does to the hungry. Those who are empty, those who lack something, no doubt, Mary's reference here, first and foremost, refers to the poor, to those who are physically hungry. Because that was the promise in the Old Testament, too, that he will come and, and he will ha- have regard for, for the lowly, those who beg, those who have no things, right, to, to satisfy them day by day by day. They are contrasted here with the rich who have their hands full. The rich they lack nothing they can buy everything. They don't beg. They are seemingly well off. But friends, more than mere physical hunger, this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. For instance, Psalm 109 107:9 says, "For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good." You will recall in Matthew chapter five when Jesus comes and he declares from the mountain in Matthew five, verse three, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied for they shall be filled here. They shall be filled. Who are the poor? The poor in spirit means they are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Standing before God, they bring absolutely nothing before him. They can't offer anything that would compel him to accept them and to approve them. And that is all of us. The only thing that we can bring is, is our brokenness, our failures. We bring our sin hoping to be forgiven. We bring our grief, hoping to be comforted. That's what we bring. We have nothing to offer, and God loves it, and God knows it, why? Because he wants to be the merciful king who will satisfy our every single need, and he alone is that merciful need. We bring all these things because we are hungry, hungry for the Lord, hungry to do that which is pleasing to the Lord, Hungry to be in the right relationship with him and with others. Humble, hungry, and helpless. He has given help, verse 54. He has given help. I mean, we've mentioned this all the time, right? That God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who are helpless. Those who cry out. Those who have no resources to make ends meet. God is attracted to those. Why? Because he has something to offer. He's a generous God. He's a merciful God. He chose Mary because he had something to offer her. What? A savior. A savior. And friends, isn't it surprising that as you recall in our study from the gospel of Matthew, that who hung out with Jesus the most? Who hung out with Christ? Right, it's the the hungry, it's the humble, it's the helpless sinners who saw their need for Jesus. And friends, Jesus was always full of compassion, mercy towards those who understood their need for a Savior. And, And here is what Mary is singing. Because... Jesus was born no longer to the do the those who are poor and those who are needy, broken hearted, lowly people should live without hope. There's hope for those people. There's hope for the hungry, there's hope for the humble, there's hope for the needy, the helpless. God is merciful to those who fear him verse 50, to all who revere him and it doesn't matter who they are it doesn't matter where they live it doesn't matter when they live because it's from generation to generation later on in in luke chapter 2 verse 10 this pronouncement that comes this angelic choir proclaims glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased among men all men all men Who is God pleased with? God is pleased with the humble. He is pleased with the hungry. He is pleased with the helpless. When you think about Christmas then, Christmas is a blessing to only one kind of people. Christmas is not for the proud. Christmas is not for the powerful. It is not for the rich. If you're consumed with your pride, your power, your wealth, you will be brought low is the theme of this song. You will be brought low. What did God do for us? Well, just like Mary, he is mindful of us and therefore he goes to action, right? He goes to work for us. He is mighty for us and he is merciful to us and sending us our personal savior. Why should you rejoice this morning? Well, did God take notice of you? Absolutely. 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 Are you one who is humble and contrite and and tremble at his word? Are you one who understands your need for a savior while he took notice of you? Friends, a real relationship with God starts when you acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior, just like Mary here did in verse 47. You need God to save you. And the great declaration of Christmas is exactly that. You do have a merciful savior. It's done for you on your behalf, free of charge. And so have you praised him this morning for these great things that he has done for you? It is no shame to acknowledge that you are hungry, that you are humble, and that you are helpless. Why? Because God gives grace to those. As Mary closes her song here, she praises God for sending his son and And for remembering his promises that he made to Israel through the coming Messiah, I want us to look finally at what God did for Israel. Verse 54, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Friends, here's another realization that despite Israel continuing to turn from God's way, God was faithful to his promises. And Mary reflects on that, it's like, wow, everything that the prophets wrote about is now being fulfilled despite our failure to live for the Lord. So what Mary here is saying in 54 and 55 is that in the past, God has come to help Israel in various forms and at multiple times, but today and again, he is now coming in the Messiah. He's sending his Messiah. The covenant here that he made with Abraham is being fulfilled. Genesis 15 verse three, God tells Abraham, and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then in verse eight he adds, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Who is that seed? Seed is Jesus Christ. The blessing that God promised through Abraham is now realized in this seed, in the one who's Mary carrying. Mary states this fact emphatically. Mary interprets what is happening to her as a fulfillment of this covenant. This is the promised seed of Abraham and he is destined to reign on the throne of David forever. What happened when Jesus came And when he pronounced and when he declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First chapter of John tells us that he came to his own, but his own what rejected him. And they handed him over to be crucified. But friends, the scripture is clear that he will come again. At which point they, Israel here, they will acknowledge him and they will receive him as their Lord. This is hope of Israel. Jesus is the hope of Israel. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Beloved, today, this song of praise, it remains the same. The only thing that changes are singers. Singers. That's us. Mary is gone. We remain to continue to sing this song of praise to the Lord. Why? Because we have a savior. So let me ask you this again, can you worship and sing this song with Mary? Are you fascinated with God's incredible gift of his son, Jesus Christ? This morning, tomorrow, when you wake up on Monday, when you gotta go about all your You know, agenda, everything that's on your list, your to-do. Tomorrow will mark the busiest, right, week of the year. Because of all the preparation, because of all the parties you need to attend, because of the old old, old gifts you forgot to buy, and you only have a couple days to order, and if you don't have Prime, forget it. They're not coming on time, right? This is what we're going to worry about Tomorrow and in two or three days. But here it is for us, friends, this is a call to to behold and to be reminded that we need a savior, to be reminded that we have a savior. You'll sing to God these songs, these words, when you know that you're a sinner. And only then, so, is Jesus your Savior? Or maybe there is someone here, maybe a teenager, maybe a teenager here, 12 to 15, or maybe a 10 year old, or maybe a 50 year old, and are, you're still arrogant. Maybe you still think that you have something to offer. Maybe you have more knowledge, like this is archaic, you know? Maybe you know more, you have more evidence. Maybe you have certain status or maybe you want certain respect even among your teenage peers. Or maybe you've accumulated a lot of wealth and you think you can wiggle your way around by just paying. And it's true, friends. Money can take you a lot of places. It can get you out of trouble here on earth. It can get you out of trouble with the Lord. Let me remind you of this truth that is recorded here in this song. God will bring down the rulers, he will scatter the proud, and he will send the rich empty-handed. There's no salvation, there's no savior for those who don't see a need in the savior. If you're not filled with joy and full of glory at the news of the incarnation of Christ, it might be because you're coming to him as one who is satisfied already one who is full. He will never help anyone who comes to him this way. God sent his son in order to what? To seek and to save those who are lost, those who are needy, wretched sinners who are conscious of their sinfulness. And so thankfully, we want to praise the Lord because many of us here this morning have acknowledged Him as our Savior, have acknowledged that we are hungry, that we are poor, and we can rejoice. And I want to encourage us all, I want to encourage my heart first and foremost to rejoice this week, especially, that we have this great Savior. Rejoice because He is great, not because we are good and we can contribute something to the Lord, His greatness towards us in His Son. Friends, maybe you are fearful, maybe you are anxious about something, your situation, just like Mary maybe. You've been told news and you don't know how to wrap your mind around it. Maybe you're fearful about the future. I think the solution is the same, get into the word of God and let your soul magnify the Lord. Let the word of God minister to your soul and remind you that you have a great God, who is mindful of you, who is mighty for you, and who is merciful to you. He has done great things. Let us rejoice this morning, friends. Sing praises as we get into our Christmas weekend. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. You do things differently, Lord. Here on earth, we value one type of man, we value one type of pursuit, but you're different. Help us, Lord, I pray, not to try to fit into this world, but but appreciate what you appreciate. And help us to rejoice because we have a savior or to our soul to magnify you, magnify you at home, to magnify you at work, to magnify you here, Lord, to magnify you on the streets, wherever we are, to make much of Jesus Christ because we have been given much. We have been given a savior. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for fulfilling your promises from the very early revelation to now. And we now are filled with hope, looking forward to the future, and looking forward to the return of Christ. He will come back. He will take his own. We will be with him. Oh, let us rejoice in God, our Savior. We praise you. We ask these things for our joy and for your glory. Amen.